How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 327 of X-Lapsed. And uh, it's been a little while since our last episode, and of course I, I do apologize for that. Hopefully we'll get on a more, I don't want to say a daily schedule, but a more regular schedule in the uh, coming days, weeks, months, years, however long uh, we <laughs> remain with this project. Uh, today we're going to be talking about an issue from the big cross event of the season. But before we get into that, I just want to take a moment and address some stuff from last episode. Um, episode 326, if you haven't heard it yet, uh, it gets into some fairly personal stuff. Very, very self-indulgent stuff uh, in the back half of the show. And um, I want to uh, thank everybody who reached out to me about that. Um, I got a lot of uh, very, very supportive and wonderful messages from, uh, from some folks. And, you know, I don't want to use those as mailbag fodder. You know, those were very, very personal and very heartfelt. And um, I don't know, I, I kind of just want them to be for me. Uh, and I hope you all understand that. Uh, very, very supportive stuff. Um, uh, some people had some questions, uh, wanted me to maybe be a little bit more specific <laughs> about some of the things I was talking about. And, you know, maybe we will. I don't know. We'll see where this episode takes us. But I do want to, I do want to focus on the material today. Uh, who knows where we'll wind up at the end of the show, though. Uh, you know, no, no guarantees we'll even get to the end of the show. As I record this, I might just hit stop. Who knows? But with an interest toward actually doing the thing here, how about we get into today's issue? We're talking about the X-Deaths of Wolverine number 2, April 2022 cover date. The story is called Dead Run, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Federico Vicent Vicentini, Vicentini? Something like that. Colors, Dijo Lima, or Dijo Lima, something like that. Letters, VCs Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller, edits Baumgartner, Basso, White, Sobolski, cover price 5 bucks. This one went on sale, wow, over two months ago. We are we are becoming re-X-lapsed here. It's weird. Uh, February 9th of 2022. Now we open, and we're in Oklahoma, where Mora has decided to rob a gas station convenience store. Now, she first asks the clerk for a burner phone, which, I, I mean, I know that's kind of like the parlance term for, you know, one of those kind of phones, but... To actually call it a burner phone when you ask for it kind of implies you're getting it for nefarious reasons, right? I don't know. My, my, my world is very, very small, so I don't know how people act in, you know, out in public. Now, after KOing the clerk and emptying the cash register, Mora makes a call to her old friend, Jane Foster. And by old friend, I mean, I don't think they shared a single panel together until last issue. 
Now, Jane has done some testing on Mora's unique form of cancer. She's deduced that there's a bit of floronic matter woven through it. Mora immediately assumes that she's contracted it during her extended stay in the no-place biome. And she goes as far as to suggest that they did this to her. Who's they? Could it be Xavier and Magneto? Maybe, but probably not, right? Otherwise, I mean, why would they have gone to all the trouble to save her during Inferno, right? If they're going to just let her die anyway. Maybe it's Doug in the island Krakoa itself? That's more likely, but still a little bit weird. Maybe it was Krakoa, you know, acting on his own without Doug's knowledge? Because we are coming to find that Krakoa has a very odd sense of justice, right? Mora decides to uh, disconnect the call by hurling this burner phone at the car window. Thankfully, it appears to have been made out of uh, sugar glass, because it shatters a lot better than an old-school flip phone ought to. From here, double-page spread of roll call and cred. We got Mora X from X. Remember how there's the little Roman numeral after the names here to maybe let us know which life things are taking place in? I don't know. I mean, the story is over already, so if you're listening to this, you probably know. I do not. So, Mora X of X, Mystique of X, Destiny of X, which, not to be confused with the next, you know, era of these books, and also Redacted of X, which is probably two uh, iterations of this uh, post-Hoxpox run. Now, the Redacted one is the Phalanxy Wolverine, by the way, and by now you all know how much I love my portmanteaus and my silly, funny, made-up words, or maybe not funny, but silly. Um, I don't have a name for this Phalanxy Wolverine, so if, if anybody out there can figure out a way to, I don't know, merge Phalanx and Wolverine together in a uh, witty way, let me know, and uh, we, will, we will use it moving forward, because saying Phalanxy Wolverine is going to get old. Anyway, we turn the page, and it's an info page, right out of Sage's logbook. And this is the report of the anomalous Wolverine, the phalanxy Wolverine, who appeared on Krakoa from that, like, tumor egg thing last time out. We get back to comics, and we're aboard a fishing boat in the Gulf of Mexico. Now, the fishermen nearly catch an injured and monstrous-looking shark. This shark has three slashes on its snout and uh, three guesses as to who's responsible. Before we know it, the phalanx Wolverine climbs up onto the boat and takes it over. He's stabbed in the chest by one of the fishermen, which only served to show that this techno-organic Logan does not feel pain, I guess. He spares the lives of the fishermen, but tosses them overboard, where they're undoubtedly going to become shark food, right? Hmm. Next stop, New Mexico. This is where Mora's cross-country trek has brought her. Now, she's in a motel room, recalling that scene from the Chrono Trigger Millennium Festival, where she sat next to Xavier on that park bench to spill all the beans back in, uh... House of X number two, I think. Now, she then thinks about how Mystique has already found her once since she was exiled from Krakoa and assumes that she probably will again. She then looks down at her Warlockian left arm and realizes it's probably, you know, kind of a beacon. And as such, it needs to go. Now, at that very moment, in the lobby of the motel, a strange man arrives asking for a room. And the slob at the desk offers one up. The man then asks for some information regarding one of the current tenants, to which it's made clear that this is, a, you know, this might be a no-tell motel. Uh, the strange man's eyes begin to glow, because this was certainly not the answer they wanted to get. Back to Mora, and she's in her room, about to perform surgery on herself. 
And I tell you what, this scene is pretty well told here. It's uh, disgusting. It's not at all pleasant. But uh, it would appear that Percy thought this one through. Now, Mora fills the bathtub with water and dumps an entire bottle of iodine in. She then climbs in, downs a bottle of whiskey, heats up a knife with a lighter, and then hacks her Warlockian appendage off. She then takes an iron and cauterizes the wound. Like I said, it's it's very unpleasant. Uh, Back in the lobby, it's revealed that that strange man was... (gasps) Mystique. Wow. Uh, She transforms into the lobby slob, and after finding out Mora's room number, because, I mean, she's obviously signed in as Mora McTaggart, maybe Mora X, uh, she heads off to deliver some fresh towels to her room. In the middle of the night. Like you do. She then kicks her way in and unloads her gun into the body-shaped lump under the covers in the bed. Though, in fairness to Mystique, the Warlockian arm was peeking out from under the blankets. But, here's the thing. This was all actually a trap. There be a bomb under the bed. That explodes when Mystique gets close, killing her very much dead. Gotta assume she's not going to be gone for all that long. At that very moment back on Krakoa, Destiny appears to already know what went down. She then pictures a man in black. Death himself. Well, it's actually the Phalanx Wolverine, naturally, but uh, she calls it Death itself. From here we go to an info page where Sage analyzes the Singing Stones. Now these were those, like, bugs that we read a little bit about, either in X-Force or Wolverine. Uh, one of the Percy books. It's kind of, you know, bugs is in listening device, but not bugs is in insects. Now here it's pretty much deduced that the Phalanx Wolverine is... a Phalanx. Wow, I mean, just like what it says on the tin, right? From here we jump over to Forge's armory slash lab, and he's taken a peek at that egg pod tumor thing from which the phalanx wolverine emerged a chapter or two back. Now Forge is able to date the thing as being thousands of years older than Krakoa itself. So, like from the far-flung future then, eh? Is this kind of like a riff on Terminator? I've never seen Terminator, I just kind of know the the broad strokes of it. Is this kind of what we're getting at here? Anyway, from here we shift back to the New Mexico Motel, which has been blowed up real, real good. Now, the parking lot did have a lot of cars in it in the original establishing shot, so we might assume that Mora's boom killed, maimed, and injured plenty of people. Uh, the Phalanx Wolverine has arrived and nonchalantly makes its way toward Mora's room. The EMTs and firefighters present try to stop him, but... Of course, this is, you know, death itself. This is the Phalanx Wolverine. What hope do they have in stopping it? From here, he enters the room, finds the Warlockian arm, which he's able to identify as being both Warlockian and Phalanx... How do I say that? Phalanxian. (laughs) Phalanxian, what am I talking about? And we also see Mystique's smoldering skeleton in that cute little skull thing she has on her hairline. Now, Phalanx Wolverine... uh, Hmm, I actually don't know what the hell he does here, to be honest. Uh... It looks like he's interfacing with the motel's router. Like, he like literally sticks his claw into it. And pulls up data on that Shacklet, Shacklater, Shacklater guy? The guy from Epiphany, who more briefly ran into last issue. Here's a question, though. Phalanx Wolverine, it's been established, is from a thousand years in the future. But still needs to connect to the internet via router? I mean, how did he track Mora without Wi-Fi? I don't know. 
Uh, he has a run-in with some of the officers who make the mistake of trying to tase him, and, uh, well, they get the, uh, the shocking reply. We wrap up the issue with Mora watching this scene play out from afar through the scope of a sniper rifle. She is shocked that the phalanx of the future has arrived in the present. Or something. She knew the future was coming, she just wasn't expecting it to come so soon. That's where we leave it. Next episode, after many, many, many months of delay, New Mutants 24. Which is to say we're likely going to be spending most of that episode just trying to remember where we were. Well, that'll be a worry for another time. For now, let's talk a little bit about uh, Zlato Tour. It would just be Zato, because there's no lives in this one. Let's talk about the tracking device in the Warlockian arm here. Um... I don't know if there's actually a tracking device in it. Um, I, the way it's being told is very, very bizarre. Very, very convenient. Um, which, I mean, it is a comic book story. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later on because part of what I like so much about this is that it is... Because I do like it. Part of what I do like about it is the fact that it is, you know, very much a comic book story. Which it feels like we don't get too many of nowadays. But let's get to the tracker. If the arm was a tracker, why didn't Mystique just go to it? You know, why check in with the lobby slob at the motel? I don't know if the arm is like a, you know, find my iPhone sort of gimmick where you might be able to find the building it's in, but you actually have to do the, you know, closer look searching on your own. I mean, it also begs the question, was Mystique even tracking the arm at all? Maybe not. Maybe she's just really good at hunting Mora. In which case, the whole amputation was kind of for nothing, wasn't it? Though at the end of the day, I'm happy it was there because it was uh, rather a powerful scene, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't as gory as it could have been. It wasn't gory at all, really. It was very, very cartoonish. But um, very powerful scene. Very powerful scene. Uh, speaking of powerful, more um, is cancer. Now, I'm not sure if this was as intentional as she seems to think that it was. You know, she does say... Maybe they did it to me. Maybe this was, you know, meant for her. Now, if we recall, the uh, No Place itself was referred to, or I could have sworn it was referred to, as a tumor itself. So perhaps the time, the... Uh, we don't... Do we even know how long she was in the biome? I mean, time is a uh, wibbly-wobbly thing in this era. I mean, sometimes this era takes a while, sometimes this era is like three days long, so who knows? Um, so it was never really spelled out for how long she was in there. Uh, but perhaps the time she did spend living in a literal tumor led to her, you know, getting her own cancer here, especially considering the floronic elements of it. And uh, floronic, I mean, that's... I don't think that's a real word, but I think we, we know enough about comic book science to <laughs> put it together. And I mean, anybody who's read like a like Swamp Thing or something, you, you know what floronic is meant to evoke, right? So Percy's given us a lot of questions to ask, which, I mean, that's part of the fun. You know, I've got a lot of questions, and I've got a lot of concerns about this story. But if I, you know, take a step back and just look at it... I can't say as a whole, but as, an, as a whole, so far as I've read it, I'm having a heck of a lot of fun with it. You know, it's it's a weird story, and it it really, you know, <laughs> it doesn't bring that, you know, kind of smarter-than-you tone of the Hickman stuff. Maybe that's just me projecting. But to me, a lot of the Hickman stuff had that, you know, smarter-than-you tone, kind of talked down to you. Uh, it was, like, very Morrison-esque without the charm. This, though, it's... 
unabashedly a comic book story. And like I said a few moments ago, it feels like those are few and far between anymore. Now, of course, that's not to say it was perfect, because of course it wasn't. Um, you know, one thing that does bug me about it is, you know, I get this feeling, and again, this might just be me projecting, I have this sneaking suspicion that Percy was writing this with a very different, with very different, like, lead-up information than actually what we saw in Inferno. I mean, we do know that the last few months of the Reign of X was an exercise in both water-treading and deck-chair rearrangement. Um, I can't exactly explain or justify these feelings. I I can't uh, put a finger on exactly where I feel like something may have shifted. At least not yet. But I'm definitely feeling like Percy might have been working from different notes than what actually, you know, got published here. And if that is the case, that's that's not Hickman's fault, that's not Percy's fault, that is the fault of the, you know, half-dozen editors who are involved in this line. But, I mean, come on, that ship sailed many years ago. Another thing here that kind of bothers me is the fact that Mystique got taken out maybe a bit too easily. No? I mean, you know, before the Resurrection Protocols were a thing, she survived so many things, you know? Um... And this kind of goes back to my biggest kvetch about this entire era, which is to say, just because you can kill these characters, well, does that mean you should? Yeah, no, I mean, this is certainly not novel. This is something we've talked about many, many times over the course of the past 327 episodes. It's just more cheapening of mutant life. And, you know, it's to the point now where it's giving me this weird conflict of emotions here. You know, um, you all know I love lore, right? Good stories, bad stories, stuff I agree with, stuff I don't agree with. I want everything to matter. So you take something like, you know, the Draco, which is almost universally hated. I still see value in it because it's part of our lore, right? It's part of the story. It's part of the history of this franchise. Good, bad, indifferent. It's part of it. And I'm never really one for the whole... What the hell was that show? Was it Dallas where the guy came out of the shower and, and everything that happened the, the season prior was a dream? Was it Dallas or Dynasty? It was one of those shows. I remember in the around the turn of the century when Claremont came back, one of the big things on Usenet was, you know, how was Claremont going to wipe out the 90s? How was he going to make it so the 90s never happened. And they were all, like, putting their heads together, and it's like, oh, Cyclops can wake up and say, wow, the dream I just had, you you would never believe it. And I remember thinking how, I suppose, disrespectful that would have been to all the great creators and all the character moments that did occur in the 90s here. But I'm having this weird conflict right now where, like, if they were to tell us that the Resurrection Protocols were never really a thing, and that all of these characters that we've been reading about for the past few years were just clones, while the real X-Men were, like, asleep in pods deep within Krakoa's belly like we've theorized, I'd be 100% there for it at this point. I feel like, you know, the, the worm has turned here, and, I mean, death in comics has been meaningless for decades at this point, but now it's like, it's almost a joke. And how, how can we take the stakes... Seriously, when, when I guess there really are no stakes here. Like, what was the guttural reaction we were supposed to have upon seeing Mystique get blown to bits here? You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we'd be like, we'd take a pause, we'd take a moment and be like, wow, you know, that's a pretty big deal. Now we turn the page, because it's just what we're used to. 
I mean, maybe that's the point. Maybe we're being conditioned to read comics a different way now. I, we've talked about this before, but I don't know. In moments like this, it's just it becomes more and more apparent that everything we're reading here doesn't matter. And when you take long-time, devoted, rabid fans of a franchise and make them realize that what they've spent all their money and time and, and effort and love and passion on is meaningless, I, I think you're kind of doing it wrong. Anyway, I think that's where we'll leave it because we still have um, half of this series to go. So I don't want to—I <laughs> don't want to get too far ahead of myself, and I certainly don't want to sour myself on the experiences yet to come. So. We'll put a pin in the uh, comics coverage for now, and we will hop over to the mailbag. Uh, the return of the mailbag. We're just going to do one letter today. We do have several in the hopper, but um, I don't know, baby steps, right? I don't want to <laughs> jump in uh, head first. We're just going to we're going to dip the toe, and we're going to read a letter from our friend Jason Colby. Now he says, as is now tradition, I'll open by saying, long time no correspond. I'm at a bit of an, a low ebb in my ex-excitement, or ex-citement, but I'm still following along and listening to your podcasts, usually in weekly or bi-weekly binge mode, after I binge-read the books. I'm behind, having stalled out at the beginning of Zlato's Lado, when the time-travel gimmick left me both cold and confused. Well, first, it's always great to hear from Jason, so thank you so much for writing in. And uh, I think I half agree <laughs> on Zlato's Lado. Uh, the gimmick left me confused, for sure, but uh, not so much cold. I-, I feel like, like I said a few moments ago, this is unabashedly a comic book story, and it feels like something, eh, you know, no pun intended with all the time travel, but it feels more timeless than a lot of the stories we've been getting of late. Now, we could talk about timeless versus evergreen because this is probably not evergreen but it feels timeless it could have happened at any point in time whereas you know somebody might argue that house of x powers of x is evergreen which you know there is an argument to be made for that but i don't know this just feels so different from what we usually see and you know it's probably an unfair statement since my comic reading in current year is very very limited it's Basically, just the X books, and if I can manage, if I can manage to fit in anything else, it's a, uh, it's a miracle or it's inadvertent. It's you know, it's an accident that I read it, but I'm uh, definitely enjoying it. Uh, Jason continues. Also, my comic energies have been diverted elsewhere. I found myself on the business end of a microphone as Jim's chatting partner over at the weekly Weird Science Marvel podcast, where we cover darn near every book in the Marvel universe except the X stuff. Uh, Jim and I are also doing a fortnightly show on the Weird Science manga side of things, covering the book Death Note, which is honestly one of the best stories I've read in a long time. Death Note was a lot of fun. I read read Death Note probably 15 years ago? 2007, 2008-ish? It was when it was coming out via, what was it? Shonen Jump Advanced which is a good way to make a grown man feel less silly about reading, uh, about reading you know, something out of Shonen Jump, I guess. But uh, Death Note, to me, was the one of the finest seven-volume mangas ever written that unfortunately went 12 volumes, <laughs> because uh, the, the worm turns about halfway through that story. And I'm really happy to hear that you're part of the uh, Weird Science Marvel show. Uh, it's been such a long... I've been so <laughs> deconnected 
from all the old haunts here. Um, and, and it's it's funny. I was um, I've been away from the mic for a bit, or at least less regular behind the mic, and it's given me some time to uh, to recollect and to think and to reminisce about um, you know my earlier days in in this hobby and uh, how. The Weird Science crew um, loomed quite large over the, you know, the seminal days of Chris's on Infinite Earths and all of my audio exploits. And I got, uh, I got very, very nostalgic about uh, my time there. You know, being part of something, I, you know, I, I hazard to say, you know, bigger than me because I was just a very, very small, you know, spoke in that wheel. But it was nice to be part of something. It was nice to um, not have to worry about a lot of the, you know, under-the-hood stuff about producing content. Things like promoting, advertising, putting together art, you know, stuff like that. I, I didn't have to worry about any of that stuff, and that was um, fun, you know. Uh, all I had to do was read, take notes, and show up. <laughs> and it's very, very different nowadays. Things are uh, things are quite different now. Um now you guys don't talk about the X books. If you if you need someone to spend a couple minutes talking about all this crazy stuff on the show, uh, maybe let me know. <laughs> maybe let me know. Uh, Jason continues. Uh, I've been doing that a few months now, and while it's fun, man, those comics just keep on a coming, don't they? Tonight, as I write you this letter, I'm playing hooky from prep for tomorrow's recording. I'm still waiting for the part where I come to terms with what my recorded with the recorded version of my own voice sounds like. Seems like maybe I do still have a bit of that North Jersey accent, despite my nearly three decades away from the Garden State. And I tell you what, I can't speak for everybody, but uh, I wouldn't hold my breath about coming to terms with what you sound like on the air. I've got thousands of hours of audio, you know, bebopping around the internet, and I I still can't listen to my own voice. (laughs) Like, just hearing me talk is just... I can only imagine how you guys feel having to hear my voice. Uh, when I have to listen to my own, it's like, oof, do I, re- do I really come across like that? Do I sound like such a jag-off? It's, uh, yeah, it's something. So um, hopefully you'll be able to come to terms with it, but uh, yeah, you may not. I know I have not. And boy, you're right. Uh, these books, they just keep coming. You know, I-, I wouldn't want another shutdown like we had a couple of years ago, but boy... You know, these books are, they're coming hot and heavy, and we're in this age of such a bloat. You know, there's just so much stuff on the racks that, so many so many characters that can't carry their own series that are getting them over and over and over again. So many stories that get contradicted the same week, same month. You know, it's very, very, it's an onslaught of, of material, of content, and it's a... Uh, I could see how covering the entire universe, the entire line, can be a chore. <laughs> it could be painful. I remember in uh, my times with uh, Weird Science back in the long ago, we had those horrible, horrible Hanna-Barbera books. You know, I, you guys know how I, I hate the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the silly LOL random team-up books of the Hanna-Barbera stuff, like... That hairy creature in Harley Quinn. Ooh, we really need to read that. But I'm talking about like things like Wacky Raceland and Scooby Apocalypse. Just, ugh, awful, awful stuff. And I remember um, nobody wanted to cover those books because they sucked. And um, me being, you know, the the low man on the totem pole or just the new guy, 
uh, who was really interested in trying to impress. <laughs> and, you know, I mentioned last episode, you know, kind of doing the stuff that no one else wants to do. I kind of put myself out there and volunteered to take books like Scooby Apocalypse and Wacky Raceland. And, uh, wow, those sucked. They were not good. And, uh, you know, the whole weird science thing was every DC comic. So, you know, you take the good, you take the bad, and you, you take it all. And it's, uh, well, it can very quickly become a job. It could become work. Jason continues. I've just now listened to your Black Panther episode, as I'm very caught up on that book. So I can fill you in a little bit on T'Challa's recent exploits. Yes, he did spend a long time off-planet. Pretty much all of Black Panther Volume 7, which is the second half of the lengthy Ta-Nehisi Coates run. I apologize, I don't want to say that word. Uh, the recent John Ridley run is really Black Panther's first time with his feet solidly on the ground of the 616 Earth since 2017. I think the new series is off to a pretty decent start even if the T'Challa needs to learn to trust others and be honest with people theme is being hammered home without much subtlety. Black Panther number 4, the one immediately following the anniversary issue, does start off with an Araco scene, but not one that would carry an entire X-lapsed episode. We just see Storm and T'Challa smooch goodbye one more time, and then, after liftoff, Storm tells Gentle that she knows he and the Panther are in cahoots on something, and she wants to know all about it right now. Well, I figure if uh, if they do pick up on that, we'll probably see that scene again in X-Men Red, right? We'll probably see a different uh, point of view on that one. So probably not necessary for me to cover that one on the show here. Uh, so thank you for filling me in on that. Uh, Jason continues, Devil's Reign also cranks on. Like you, I was less than thrilled when the setup turned out to be one more spin on the tired Let's Outlaw Heroes trope. But Chip Zarsky is a very capable writer and has made the event book more fun than I had expected. Like the Daredevil run that led up to it, it's very much a Wilson Fisk character study as anything else. The tie-in books are very skippable, although the Winter Soldier one, which sees an insomniac kingpin try to hypnotize himself to sleep using, spoiler redacted, was pretty nutty. Like you, I hope Zarsky returns to Daredevil after the event wraps up, but, as you may have heard, he has a new gig over at the Distinguished Competition, being the ongoing writer for a little cult classic book called Batman so I fear his time at Marvel may be wrapping up. And you see, that's uh, one of the problems with the concept of the cream always rises, right? Sometimes we lose uh, the creators that we really, really enjoy. Uh, I talked about it a while back with uh, Zeb Wells getting the gig on Amazing Spider-Man, which may be robbing us of any kind of follow-up to Hellions. And now Zarsky going over to DC to do some Batman. But in fairness, uh, Batman could use him. <laughs> because... Wow, that's, you know, I've, I've talked about my bat-lapsed idea, right? We've talked about that, where I was going to try to make my way through the, the Tom King run and try to catch myself up, because I haven't read Batman since uh, Scott Snyder left in, you know, whenever that was, the DCYOU era, so 20, early 2016. So it's been a very long time since I've read Batman, <laughs> and uh, I tried I tried, and uh, it's just not for me. So hopefully we can actually get a Batman that uh, not only will I waste money on, but actually you know, spend a little bit of time reading. Though hopefully the main Batman book doesn't get lost in the shuffle of the other seven dozen Batman books they put out a week. I guess we'll find out when we get there. Uh, Jason continues. 
If any of your listeners, after they take in your daily offering, find that they'd like to hear my blathering about those other comics, they can find me on any of the noise aggregation apps by searching for Weird Science Marvel or Weird Science Manga. So I will, uh, I'll try to remember to put links in the show notes. I'm not good about doing that, but um, I will try to remember. And Jason wraps up with, So until Jumbo Carnation makes the both of us outfits for the big Hellfire Podcasters Gala, make my next lapsed. Well, I have it on good authority that we will not be invited to that. So, uh, if you get that, you get that. But I'll just leave it there. (laughs) I won't go any deeper. But I think that'll do it for today. Uh, As always, I want to thank you all for uh, coming back. And also apologize for the delay between episodes. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, I would love for you to do so. Um, you can find me several different ways on the internet. On Twitter, I'm at Ace Comics. On uh, Instagram at 90sXmen. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Or you can call into the voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to the all-new, all-different chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. Right now, I'm... Uh, Doing a few different projects, still working on the uh, X-Men vignette series, taking a look at the backup stories from classic X-Men from uh, the mid to late 1980s. I've hit a point where I'm up to an issue that I don't own, so that's on a brief hold, hopefully a very brief hold, because I will be trying to track down the issue that I need in the uh, the coming, actually in the coming hours. (laughs) I will be heading out later on today to look for it. But in the meanwhile, I'm uh, trying my hand at something I've uh, not tried before, annotations. And uh, it's a very Chris take on annotations, which is to say I go way, way, way too deep on stuff that people couldn't possibly care about. I'm currently annotating one page at a time, uh, the Marvel Riot one-shot from 1995, which is a parody of The Age of Apocalypse. And it's by uh, Hilary Barda, who you might know from uh, What The and some other uh, you know, humor comics. And every single panel is just crammed with references and fun nods. It's, it's a very self-aware book. It's, it's so self-aware, I can't believe that Marvel actually published it. Because uh, it, it, it pokes a lot of fun at Marvel. <laughs> it's very, very funny. It's very, very interesting. And I'm going page by page, pointing out all the references and filling in all the context that I possibly can. And I tell you, when I took this project on, I was afraid that uh, only you know dedicating an entire post to one page would be lazy, cheap, a cop-out. I figured it'd be like, ah, just take me five, ten minutes a day, <laughs> and then uh, I can you know get on with the rest of my life. And uh, at least to this point, uh, no, it's not that at all. Uh, each post has taken me four, five, six. Uh, the first post took me eight or nine hours, and it's ridiculous. And it's it's you know at the end of the day it's pointless because who cares about it? But um, yeah, I kind of got lost in it. Kind <laughs> of got that uh, that researcher, fake ass comics historian itch. So you gotta strike when the iron's hot and indulge yourself whenever you can, I suppose. But uh, those are there at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, one page at a time, Marvel. Riot. Now, if you want to join us on Facebook, you could do so at 90s X Men. What comes after that? I don't remember what comes after that. There's the Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash xlabs, and aha, the complete audio archives. 
chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which I'm working on integrating a little bit better into the Chris's on Infinite Earths website, make it a little bit more uh, user-friendly, a little bit less ugly, horrible mess. It's going to take me a minute, but we'll get there when we get there. But with all that said, one more time, I'd like to thank you all so much for taking some time out of your day to join me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh